Our first reading is from 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, and if you'd like to follow along, it's printed in the middle of your bulletin inserts. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayer. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words. We ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts anew this morning, that we might receive a word from you this day. Amen. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians in God, our Creator, and the Holy One, Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and the Holy One, Jesus Christ. We must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. To this end, we always pray for you, asking that our God will make you worthy of God's call and will fulfill by God's power every good resolve and work of faith, so that the name of Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Our second reading for this morning is from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 19th chapter, and is also followed in, found in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Holy One, Look, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Humanity came to seek out and to save the lost. Here ends our reading. It is the season of bringing old stereotypes out of the closet and wearing them around in public. A practice that can be helpful or not so helpful. In parables and in stories throughout the scriptures, 
It was an invitation to a teaching, the stereotypes, often playful, even while challenging. Discovering the limitations and inaccuracies of a stereotype can bring the most impactful lessons. And that discovery is not always a shameful or condemning experience. It can be joyful. One romanticized stereotype I used to carry, and to some extent I probably still do carry, is of Buddhist monks. When you think of a Buddhist monk, what comes to mind? Bald, maybe? <laughs> robes, red robes. Say it again. Smiling, happy, happy monks. Always calm. Zen. When I imagined them, I imagined them to be quiet, gentle, and pensive as they led their ascetic and holy lives. I imagined them caring for grasshoppers, walking with intention and humility. And then I met Batzaya. His name means strength. Some of you might recall stories I've shared about him. He's a Tibetan Mongolian Buddhist monk who I met several years ago as I spent some time studying Tibetan Buddhism and shamanism in Mongolia. Batsaya was not at all what I thought it was to be a monk. He was, and I imagine he still is, a playful and mischievous man with an enthusiastic interest in wrestling. <laughs> he had a love for the newest iPhone and a deep pride in the beauty of his robes. He had a twinkle in his eye as he attempted to goad my male colleagues, as well as my professor, into wrestling matches. And inevitably, he stood joyfully victorious even when the match resulted in broken eyeglasses. <laughs> Though he did have an amazing ability to throat sing as he chanted prayers, a practice he maintained diligently each evening, and one he shared as he honored the requests of people in each town that we passed through, the sound that was most vivid, that is still most vivid when I recall his presence, is his laughter. As we made through our way through temples across Mongolia, and as I made my way through articles about Tibetan Buddhism, invariably written by Western scholars, I would ask Batsaya for his teaching, as he was an accomplished Lama. The layers of the religion were so elaborate, according to the scholars, and I anticipated Batsaya's words would be too. But each time I asked, the response was always the same. It's about the peace and the compassion. But Zaya, what is the meaning of this statue with a series of animals resting on top of each other? It's about the peace and the compassion. But Zaya, what is the meaning of the whole temple dedicated to the goddess Tara? It's about the peace and the compassion. But Zaya, what is the meaning of the burning butter offerings? It's about the peace and the compassion. What is the meaning of these elaborate carvings? What is the meaning of this ritual dancing? 
What is the meaning of the chanting? For the whole month, the answer to every question was, it's about the peace and the compassion. It was an answer that brought me to laughter. Right, Vatsaya, it's about the peace and the compassion. And as his parting gift, in case I missed it, was a white Tara Tanka, a wall hanging, that my eyes might one day be opened and that I would see. Tara is often imagined as the mother of all Buddhas. White Tara is the goddess of unending compassion who sits in a position of peace, even as she is vigilant and able to see all the suffering in the world. It is about the peace and the compassion. And as I prayed with the texts for this morning, I kept hearing Vatsaya's voice. The promise of peace was not far off for the Thessalonians. Persecutions and afflictions alluded to in the letter were often understood as signs that the end time was near. Writing of these afflictions with the details all missing may have been less about acknowledging what the Thessalonians were enduring and more about assuring them that peace, with a capital P, peace, was just around the corner. A letter about the peace and the compassion. Amy Jill Levine, writing about the power of disturbing stories, and specifically stories by Jesus, observes the best teaching concerning how to live and live abundantly comes from narratives that remind us of what we already know but are resistant to recall. She goes on to say, Jesus himself, as we know from the gospel tradition, cared deeply about reconciliation, and so he told stories about people torn apart and how they might be brought back together. The narrative of the chief tax collector Zacchaeus is one such story. Chief among those who have taken advantage of his people, there is a broken relationship to be mended. It's a nice story, especially if you decide to take on the role of Zacchaeus. In the tale, it is noted that he is short in stature, a description that, as it turns out, could also be a play on words, that he was lowly or among the least and embracing his smallness, humbling himself, vulnerable, he found his way risen on a tree that would bring him life. As he was able to see Jesus become his host and commit to make reparations to those whom he had harmed. If you find yourself among the crowd, grumbling at the unfolding scene, it might not be such a satisfying story and may offer a teaching you would rather not recall. Do we really want Jesus to welcome the sinners? All sinners? We say we dream of peace. Peace for ourselves, peace for the world, we say Christianity teaches us to follow the way of peace, the way of compassion. We say we believe in a forgiving God, of rising again, 
We say that Christianity welcomes the sinner and the saint, and we lift that up as something to be proud of. And then the chief tax collector comes on the scene. The best teaching, Levine says, concerning how to live and live abundantly comes from narratives that remind us of what we already know but are resistant to recall. Jesus himself cared deeply about reconciliation, and so he told stories about people torn apart and how they might be brought back together. The unending lesson comes again. It's about the peace and the compassion. There was something within Zacchaeus that drove him to embrace his littleness, reconciling himself to who he was and who he was called to be, and helping him find his way into a tree of life. How do we live life abundantly? The truth Batzaya knew was that it's about the peace and the compassion. A simple answer retold over and over again in his tradition with color and sound and dancing, elaborate tapestries, great temples, and meditative chanting. It's a lesson that the Christian tradition tries to awaken within us with symbol and story, through humor and dissonance, encouraging us to unhook ourselves, trusting that we know the way. And so we pray with those who have come before us, open our eyes, that we may see.